Today is March 7th, Thursday. This is Perspective from Politics NC. I'm Kirk Kovac. I'm here in Carborough with Thomas Mills. Thomas, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Kirk? I am great, and it has been, in terms of North Carolina politics, I think compared to last week, a rather slow week in the news. But uh, first in the news, I think the biggest thing yesterday, Governor Cooper unrolled his um, proposal for the budget. Uh, Nobody is... Um, liable to take it up, but he he laid out his priorities for the the biennium. They they do it two years at a time. So, did you have any first impressions about the budget itself, or maybe more importantly, the Republican reaction to it? Um, well, I, my my first impression of the budget is, is is he's putting a lot of emphasis back on teachers and education again, and and you know that's that's the Democrats' bailiwick. So he's really laying out something that they can talk about. Uh, they're great big teacher pay raises, trying to get us towards a national average. Um, he came in and said that at, at we're 37th in teacher pay, and that's not enough. And Republicans immediately pushed back, saying, oh, but we have raised it so much over the last little bit. And I think you wrote about um, some articles saying that, in reality, North Carolina is not doing that much more for education Um or as much as the Republicans would like to say we are, uh, I think I think it was uh, spending is like at 18, 18% below where we were yeah, in 2008. Yeah, per pupil spending is it's, 18% below where it was uh, right before the recession, if you account for inflation. Right. So, you know, that, that what Republicans like to do is talk about raw numbers. What they ignore is the fact that there's been huge growth in the state. So are we spending more than we were? Sure we are. Are there more people in the, in the schools? A lot more. So the per-pupil spending is really what we ought to be looking at. And, and you know, getting teacher paid to the national average is going to keep us competitive uh, in attracting and maintaining teachers. And, that, and that's really, in the end, at the end of the day, going to be important to um, the quality of our schools and the quality of teachers in the classroom. Uh, so do you think that the elections in 2018 were was education the biggest issue in that one and then for 2020 do you think it's going to be purely um about the presidential election that drives people out and and maybe some of the issues statewide are less salient um you know i think every every election in this political environment right now is nationalized and and um, while I think Democrats ran hard on education across the state, and I think they will again in 2020, it really kind of gets overshadowed by what's going on nationally, particularly with Donald Trump. You know, he, he's still he's not going to stop tweeting. He's not going to stop being in the news. Um, you know, the investigations that we're seeing Democrats crank up are going to get more intense. Um, we're going to have more. Uh, looks like Michael Cohen is going to be somehow in the news for a long time, at least until he goes to prison. And, uh, you know, it, I, I just, I, I think that a lot of what's going to happen is going to stay over overshadowed as far as the elections go and what we're talking about by what's going on nationally. So apart from the budget, I think some of the other big topics this week were the special elections. So out of our 13 congressional districts in the state, two of them are currently vacant. Uh, in the 9th district where Robert Pittenger lost a primary, or or yeah, yeah, it was Mark Harris beat him in the primary. So now they're, after that investigation into the, the ballot harvesting, 
there is no current representative there. And then in the third district, Walter Jones passed away recently. So both of those are open. And I know this week, I think March 3rd, Governor Cooper, no, on February 27th, I'm sorry, but he announced that for the third district um, on the coast, that special election, the primary would be April 30th and the general election would be July 9th. Um, If there is a runoff in the primaries, then that will be on July 9th and the general will get pushed back to September 10th. So I know there are a lot of people uh, who are jockeying for that seat in the third district. And I remember in a previous uh, episode we talked about, or you talked about how Walter Jones or his father, I think had, had been that representative for a very long time. So what do you see unfolding in the third district now that there's a, a big opening and a lot of people want that seat? Well, you're going to have big primaries on both sides. Um, I, there, there are a number of Republicans jumping in the race, some prominent Republicans who, who were who were getting in. And, you know, one of the advantages of running in a special election is, is you don't have to give up your legislative seat. You can maintain the seat, and even if you get knocked out of your primary, you're still able to run for re-election in 2020. On the Democratic side, we're not seeing legislators jump in, but we are seeing some pretty prominent politicians jump in. Um, uh, the mayor of, of Newburn. Um, Dana Outlaw is, is, has announced that he's running. Um, Alan Thomas, who was a former mayor of uh, Greenville, has announced that he's running. And his, his, he's got a very political family. His, his brother's the DA down in Newburn, and uh, his father and his brother served in the state senate down there. Uh, there's there's a, a veteran, a military guy who just got in the race, too, whose name is escaping me right now. But given that that district has... Uh, Camp Lejeune, uh, the the NADEP, the uh, and and part of Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, you know there, there's being having a military background is a big asset in in that in that district. Now whether a Democrat can win it or not, we're going to have to see. But I would say this: in a special election, Democrats probably have a better chance than in a, a, a regular general election. And the district if you look at the registration, is not that bad for Democrats. They're just not the type of Democrats that have been voting for Democrats in a long time. Well, to that point, so I was looking because the name escaped me as well. It's, um, I think who you're talking about is Richard Boo for Congress. He was ex-Marine, and there have been some articles written about him, even I think from outside of the state, sort of comparing his profile to a Connor Lamb um, right. from Pennsylvania. So. Like you say, hopefully the type of Democrat that can actually win in a Republican district, even though that's a pretty tough race. But he's been getting a lot. And like you said, it's been a lot of military um, veterans that are looking to run out there. And speaking of military veterans who are running for Congress, also in NC9, which is the other open seat, the State Board of Elections met and they decided the new dates for that. The primary will be May 14th, and then on September 10th, they will either have a runoff election from the primary or, if necessary, or if not necessary, the general election. So the general election will be held November 5th if they need a primary. So that's another election, though. Um, Right after we finish in NC3, it looks like they'll be holding elections in the 9th District. We're going to be in the spotlight for a long time this summer. And uh, in in the middle of an odd year, that's an off year we're going to get a lot of attention uh, to, to what's going on in congressional races. Yeah, and, and even the lead-up to it, not the races themselves, but if you get any you know political newsletters or anything, I know today, I think, um, either today or yesterday, one of the Politico 
newsletters, two of the top three bullet points. One was Josh Stein's not running for Senate, and the yeah. second was dates picked for NC9. So even people not running is news for North Carolina. Right. Um, so Dan McCready, um, barring something crazy, will be the Democratic nominee for that election. And it's still an open question on the Republican side now. I know we talked about they had this boss hog figure that Mark Harris appointed. Uh, I don't know. Endorsed. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I'm going to say anointed as his as his um, replacement, I guess. But so who do you think might come out in the Republican primary? Well, it looks like you you got two prominent people out of Charlotte and they may split the Charlotte vote up. But I I don't know if they're one prominent uh, uh, Senator Bishop, who's the architect of HB2. Uh, is is running, and um, you've got a, a veteran who's who's got a profile that looks a lot like McCready's, who who's uh, jumped in the race also. So, I got to tell you, in a low turnout primary in the middle of the summer or in the early late spring, anyhow, uh, you know, all bets are off. There are not a lot of people who are going to show up. Um, you're going to have at least at least three or four people. That, that probably have money and constituencies running in that in that primary, and it's it's hard to it's hard to say who's going to win. Um, but uh, McCready will, barring something crazy like you said, be the Democratic nominee. So today in the News and Observer, there was an editorial. I think it was today about how Republicans. I think especially the the situation they cited was. Um, Senator Berger in his response to the state of the state by Roy Cooper, he was citing these economic numbers for North Carolina and how great things were. But the News and Observer editorial board pushed back on that a little bit. And I know you tweeted about it and I or you retweeted something someone said. So I know you have at least looked at that. And I just wondered your thoughts on maybe the way the economy is and the way it's presented by the Republicans. Well, I think. You, you don't just see it in North Carolina, you see it nationally. Republicans like to talk about economic growth, and, and we need to have economic growth. We can't, we, we don't do well if we, we're not growing, if, if the economy's not growing at a healthy pace. However, what we need is to make sure that the benefits of that growth are getting spread throughout the economy and not concentrated uh, with just a few people. And, and I think one of the things they pointed out is that we're just now a little above where the median income was when the economy crashed in 2007-2008. So a decade later, people aren't making that much more money than they were then. The other thing that's happened is is there was a huge loss of net worth. And the wealthiest 10 10 or 20% have totally recovered that money. The rest of us have not. And so there's people still struggling to try to get back to where they were. And I just saw something that came out today saying uh, in the last over the last year, I think, or maybe two years, anyhow, the the pe- people's net worth went down. The average net. So again, it's it it's not if the if if the benefits of this growth are being concentrated among the wealthiest, then it's not really helping everybody. And I think that's uh, I mean that's what Republicans miss. And in, in their mind, it's 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 economic freedom. If uh, people get to keep as much tax money as possible, um, and that tax money ends up being concentrated by those who who just happen to be making the most amount of money, Democrats look at it differently, and they they want to see um, uh, 
the 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 majority of the people benefiting from our economy and if and if they're not they want to make sure that they're getting the tools to to uh, take advantage of, of the economic growth they want to see better schools they want to see uh, less student debt they want to see people not having to lay out uh, increasing amounts of their their money for health care and um, and and that's the difference it, you know, on the one side, the Re- Republicans are going to look just at growth. They're not going to look at who benefits from it because, in their mind, everybody benefits from it. Democrats look at, okay, how is the middle class and the lower middle class doing, and and what can we do to make sure that they're not getting left behind in the economy? And I think that's what the News Observer was pointing out was that a lot of people in North Carolina still aren't doing great uh, in the aftermath of the recession. Well, do you think? the ascendancy of people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez up in New York and that strain of the Democratic Party is is tied to that idea that, you know, even though the economy is growing, the top line numbers look good, it, it doesn't really help everybody. And because I know you wrote about, uh, you talked about something that Mitch Kokai from John Locke uh, wrote about how these Nordic countries are not they're not socialists, they're actually free market, and, and this, the idea is that they just allocate the money that they make better. Right, and I, I, there, there's, a, there's a broader conversation that's been going on, and that a lot of these, a lot of folks who are now calling themselves socialists aren't, it's not really socialism. I mean, I mean socialism, and I, I'm one of these people who watched a lot of countries who called themselves an em- socialist and embraced socialism uh, failed in in the in the eighties and nineties. I mean, they, um, you know, they and and socialism is really when the government starts taking over the means of production. And uh, what 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 these people are confusing socialism with is a really robust uh, social safety net. And um, th- those Nordic countries all have uh, very generous. Um, social welfare states that they 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 basically make sure that nobody's going to get too far get thrown under under the economy too far you know they they're uh they have child care they have uh maternity leave they have universal health care um and they're they've also got pretty thriving economies and and the one thing that is is that that the un does a happiness uh index every year and those countries are always the most happy and satisfied in the world and they don't have miserable economies they got strong healthy economies and the point that john locke was making was is these are market economies they are market economies but they're also market economies that take care of their people whereas we lean towards more letting people take care of themselves and in, and, and as as a result we're 18th on this this happiness scale which is kind of you know kind of low considering we're supposed to be the 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 most powerful country in the world you would think we would have a very high we would be in the top 10 and we have never been in the top 10 and i think there are interesting point with this more liberal strain becoming prominent or at least being heard more than it might have been in the future there are interesting conversations about the differences between where these democrats stand and where somebody like I don't know, like Jeremy Corbyn in the UK, right. with, you know, in the UK, they're, they're talking about nationalizing entire industries like like rail or, or steel or something to that effect. And there was an interview with uh, Pete Buttigieg from it was the mayor of South Bend, I think, who's running for president as a Democrat. 
And I think he said, you know, the difference is we want universal health care. We want everybody to be able to go to the doctor. The difference is in a socialist country, the doctors would be employed by the state. Right. So there are differences and it's, you know, it's, it's worth talking, talking about that. One thing I'd be interested in hearing um, from you Republicans have called Democrats socialists forever. Somebody right. dug up an article, you know, talking about uh, Obama. McCain said Obama wanted the country to be a socialist. I'm sure it's gone well beyond that. But is there any point where that attack loses its fangs? I, you know, I don't think it's. I don't think that attack works. I mean, that that that's essentially name calling. And and one is, I don't think most people believe it. The the people, if you believe that we're headed towards socialism. You're already so far right that you're never going to vote for a Democrat anyhow. The middle really does not believe that, and they're not going to it no matter how many times they repeat it. Um, and and I mean, my my things watching watching Twitter and watching Facebook, it seems like they're two the two lines of attack on Democrats right now are uh, they're socialist baby killers and and uh, that uh, you know ad- advocate. Uh, a form some some form of genocide because they're pro-choice that, that's not going to work man that people vote based on what you can do for them and uh now if you scare the hell out of them and think and and and, and make them think that the 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 other side is going to take something away from them that they won't like their money through you know republicans were most successful when they ran when our taxes were higher, considerably higher than they were now, and they ran saying Democrats want to raise your taxes. And and that was an effective attack because people look at it like, don't take any more of my money. You know, Democrats need to be saying, you know, we want to reduce your health care costs. We want to reduce your student debt. We want to make sure you have a, a can make a living wage. Those are things that people that affect them directly. And they don't look at that as socialism. If Republicans want to call it socialism, bring it on. That's what people want. And, uh, and we can certainly, as the Locke Foundation said, we can certainly provide that without becoming a socialist country. Well, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how that debate continues to unfold over the course of this very long Democratic primary. Uh, I think that's about all the time we have today uh one one quick thought though sherrod brown today said he was not going to run for president what do you think about that um you know i i think he, he could have been a strong candidate i think we need somebody like brown uh who brings a kind of populist um pro-labor perspective to the to the fight uh and I, a lot of my friends were, were very disappointed in, in it um and i i personally liked him uh, and I, 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 I'm not that surprised, but uh, I, I, I'm not spending too much time right now paying attention to the presidential primary. I, if something happens fun, I'll, I'll jump back in. But right now, I'm, I'm just kind of waiting to see who, who jumps in. Well, speaking of that, with Brown out, I feel like if it was 95% sure before this, it's 99% sure that Joe Biden's going to run now because I think that would have been someone with a very similar profile. So it'll be interesting to see. Maybe by next week we'll have something else to talk about with regard to the national scene. But until then, please leave us a review if you like what you heard on politicsnc.com. We have articles about this and more every day of the week, including a 2020 candidate tracker by our own Darren Jans. 